Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, Tommy Dreamer and I talk about the history of Starcade, and who better than to look back at Starcade 83 in one of the greatest matches ever, Roddy Piper versus our guest Greg Valentine in a dog collar match right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Tommy, how are you, man? I'm doing great and excited to talk about something that is near and dear to both of our hearts, man. Starcade. Be there. Yes, that's right. We're talking Starcade. And to me, when I think of Starcade, Tommy, I think of that Thanksgiving Day or Thanksgiving night Starcade, I should say, 83 to 87. To me, that was the heyday of the NWA. That was the heyday of Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, and that was the heyday of wrestling on Thanksgiving. Absolutely. You know, Dave, we, we've talked about the territories. We did a whole breakdown of the territories, which is a fabulous listen if you want to go back and listen to on the Busted Open podcast. And most feuds came to an end either Thanksgiving night or Christmas night. They were the two biggest nights of professional wrestling, which now if we think about it is so obscure to think about. I even remember a couple of years ago where people were talking about wrestlers having to wrestle and be away from their families on Christmas night. And how dare they because of social media. Um, But those times have long gone. I wish they were still around. Christmas night is the only night I've never wrestled on. I've wrestled every single date of a calendar year, except for December 25th. So I'm still hoping once we get out of this world uh, that we could do it, but I have wrestled on Thanksgiving night and uh, it's cool, man. Cause what better way to do is fill your body up with carbs and turkey take a sleep watch some football and then get ready for some starcade because that's what we're about to do and you know the world has changed i'm not even just talking about what we're going through but i'm just talking about thanksgiving in general when it comes to pro wrestling because you mentioned thanksgiving and christmas and you know on christmas hey the kids open up the gifts in the morning well what do you do you know christmas evening well let's go Get up, put the whole family in the car. Let's drive to the arena and watch some pro wrestling. It was the same thing on Thanksgiving. Now we have, you know, pro football from noon all the way until midnight because there's three games on Thanksgiving. But, Tommy, you know, back in the day, up until recently, it was just the, the football would end and then there would be nothing at night. Pro wrestling filled that void. And when you look at the history of pro wrestling on Thanksgiving, you know, the AWA – from 1960 till, you know, like when the, the company started dying off in 1987, they had a regular Thanksgiving night card. World-class championship wrestling with Star Wars at the Reunion Arena had those holiday shows. Uh, the WWF with Survivor Series had it, 
you know, from 1987 to 1990. You could even go all the way back to 1959 if you wanted to with Thanksgiving, uh, having pro wrestling in the evening. But for me, like when I think of Thanksgiving, I think of the NWA and I think of the Greensboro Coliseum and the first ever, actually the first ever event at the Greensboro Coliseum, Tommy, was pro wrestling going back to 1961. So there is definitely a rich tradition when it comes to Thanksgiving. And Dave, you know, you talk about um, things have changed. When the Lions, because they were always a crappy team, they decided to work on Thanksgiving to get people to watch it. It became something to do. Like you said, um, now Thanksgiving night, as well as Christmas night. Christmas night is really a uh, NBA spectacular, but it's all for that entertainment value. But as always professional wrestling was the one that really set the bar because I know, Hey, Vic, uh, Joseph, he went on Thanksgiving with his family to go see survivor series, which got him hooked on professional wrestling. I've never seen wrestling on any of those holidays, but it, it was the thing to do. Now there's other forms of entertainment, but, um, it was always about the build. You talk about Harley race and the flair for the gold. And that started almost a year going into it with uh, Harley and flair and the same with um, steamboat and young blood with Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cranoodle. And I remember Sergeant Slaughter telling me that that night for that first ever Starcade, they had to get out of their car and walk like three to four miles because of traffic being that backed up because they were going to miss the show because there was only one way in. It was the hottest ticket in town. And here's Sarge and Don Cranoodle having a hoof it all the way uh, to the arena because if not, they weren't making it. But it was all about the build and all the feuds pretty much came to an end and or started at Thanksgiving and Starcade. Yeah, and you look at that first Starcade and there's a lot of build up, not just with the matches, but with Starcade itself because it really was the precursor of a lot of what we saw from the WWF and WrestleMania. Closed circuit TV, um, sold out Greensboro Coliseum, and they drew, I guess, an additional 30, 35,000 people on closed circuit. That was, and it was during a terrible storm at that time, you know, on Thanksgiving back in 1983. And then I guess it as well. Tommy, it came from the mind of Dusty Rhodes. This is one of the many things that when we talk about the genius of Dusty Rhodes, one of those things on that list would be Starcade. Yeah, and a lot of companies did have their um, super shows or, or title them. This was an early, early one. And like you said, Dave, there was no pay-per-view. The only way you were going to see this was two ways, was be there live or watch a closed circuit. If not, you had to wait. You had to wait for a long, long time or the whenever TV happened the next week just to get the results or wait about two to three months to see those results in a wrestling magazine. You got to understand everybody who's listening. This is before the internet. But I know for myself and I know for, you know, Dave, we couldn't wait to get that information. We were so amped up because we knew Starcade was coming and it was a big event. It was all about the hype. And for a long time, Starcade truly did live up to its hype. Yeah, and... Just like I always say, that first WrestleMania from the WWF in 1985, that really circled around Hulk Hogan and the feud with Roddy Piper, the involvement of Mr. T. 
like that really the, the event was built around Hogan. You know, like I always say, if there was no Hulkamania, there would be no WrestleMania. Like you just said before, Tommy, that first Starcade, you know, was built around Ric Flair and Harley Race for that NWA World Championship. I mean, that was that was what the uh, they built those matches in that event around Flair and Race. And what you said was exactly key. They built it around the titles. And that's what made the title so, so special. You had your tag title and you had your NWA title. And, you know, if you think about every major sport, what do they fight for? They fight for the Super Bowl. They fight for a ring. They fight for to be the best. And this was what, you know, Starcade said, you were the best. And, and, you know, on the on the undercard, which if you want to go through it, um, you could. I know I could go back to some of the history and say why these matches were happening, but it's pretty much like we said, it's the whole build um, leading up to this. And, you know, as we say in the wrestling business, it's the blow off to the feud. Yeah. And a flair for the gold, like the name said it all, you know, Ric Flair was now that guy and that NWA championship was the goal that everybody wanted to achieve. And that NWA World Heavyweight Championship, especially at that time in 1983, Tommy, that was the most prestigious championship in all pro wrestling. Absolutely. I mean, it's so rich in wrestling history, Uh, Harley Race being the champion. If you go back and you watch, and I do watch uh, on the network, this whole build, too, was Dick Slater and um, Cowboy Bob Orton. Harley Race had put a bounty on him, and... They took out Ric Flair for a little bit. And so Flair is injured. And now he's coming back, sitting at home, talking about facing Harley Race for this big, big match and a match, an opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, And Harley, you know, then it was the whole um, they weren't bounty hunters. They just did it on their own. All this whole buildup for Flair versus uh, Race on the other side, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cranoodle had exchanged the tag titles a few times with Steamboat and Youngblood. They had done everything to rip up the ceremonial headdress, um, laid out and injured Ricky Steamboat. I remember the great Kabuki. He blinded Jimmy Valiant. And then here yeah. came, uh, what was his name? Down? No, not downtown Charlie Brown. Yeah, it was Charlie Brown. No, it was downtown Charlie Brown. And then if you also think about like, they just, they segued so much stuff. It, you know, Crockett Company was always really a, a tag team based company. And this is where we also started seeing the emergence of single stars and single draws like a Ric Flair. Um, and, and then after that, Ricky Steamboat. But there's there's a lot to this, uh, how Starcade kind of came about. But as you said, Dusty Rhodes came up with the name. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool that he did that. Actually, Ed, our producer, got it right. It's not downtown uh, Charlie Brown. It was Charlie Brown from out of town because it was a loser. Because Jimmy Valiant it was a lost a loser leave town match, and Charlie Brown came to town. Well, that makes about all the sense in the world. <laughs> I love pro wrestling. It's that simple. But you know what? It's that simpleness of detail that is kind of lost in today. I mean, you and I. Well, more so you. You bitch about it every Monday, you know, after watching Raw or Tuesday. But those little little things of detail, they do mean a lot, and they meant the, everything in 1983. Yeah, and when you look at this card, and again, like what Tommy said, this isn't, you know, when, when the WWE plays to a stadium for WrestleMania now, the whole world is watching. 
that wasn't the case back in 1983. When we talk about Star Wars with world-class championship wrestling or the AWA at the St. Paul Civic Center, it was just that area because this was, you know, still the territory system at that time. And though th- that show waved the banner of the NWA, that was Crockett Promotions. That was that was a mid-Atlantic show. Uh, so there's a lot to get into. You talk about storytelling and you talk about feuds. When you look at this card from top to bottom, most people, they look at Starcade 83, they think Flair and Harley Race for the NWA Championship. And that definitely was the main event and the marquee matchup. But there was other matches as well. And we're going to dive into the card that was the first ever Starcade at the Greensboro Coliseum in 1983 when Tommy and I are back right here on a very special edition of Busted Open. Hi, this is Adam Shine. The Adam Shine Podcast is back for another football season. I'll give you my passionate, hard-hitting takes every week, including picks against the spread and fantasy football advice, all while talking to the biggest guests in all the sports, celebrities, media personalities, diehard football fans on a weekly basis. It's the Adam Shine Podcast with new episodes dropping on Tuesdays. You can listen to the podcast anytime with the SiriusXM app, iTunes, Pandora, and with Stitcher. Tommy, we're talking about Starcade, the Thanksgiving tradition, and right now, Starcade 1983, the first ever Starcade. Yeah, and I got to correct myself. I lost my inner Markism child. Uh, the whole Sergeant Slaughter, Don Cronoodle, that uh, had taken place after, uh, before this Starcade. And then a brilliant idea was to turn the beloved Jack and Jerry Briscoe heel, and then Jack and Jerry Briscoe worked against uh ricky steamboat and jay youngblood and i was just so enthralled in my sergeant slaughter don crudo steel cage stuff i had totally forgotten that it was jack and jerry briscoe so apologies but i kind of get ahead of myself and uh just you know i've also had a lot of concussions so it's all right tommy we forgive you and let's dive into that first starcade in 1983 at the greensboro coliseum in 1983 your commentators listen to this tommy Bob Cottle and Gordon Soley. I mean, you couldn't ask for two better announcers. Tony Schiavone was in the back doing interviews. Sonny Fargo, Stu Schwartz, Tommy Young, Angelo Mosca for the one match, and, of course, Gene Kaninsky for the main event where your referees that night. And uh, your ring announcer was Tom Miller. So this was definitely you know, stacked when it comes to the announcers. Also, too, Barbara Clary also was a interviewer in the back as well. You didn't see much of her after Starcade 83, but uh, that definitely was a good tempo to start a flare for the gold. I would like to state that both Angelo Mosca and Gene Kanitsky were not the best special enforcers. Uh, I just did pop always for when uh, Angelo Mosca had the Pro Wrestling Illustrated T-shirt on, which is something I, I always clamored well. for. <laughs> I did as well. Uh, great, uh, great ad placement, especially when he was carrying uh, Ric Flair on his shoulders after he had won the NWA championship. But let's get into the card real quick, Tommy, because you talk about feuds. There were some good ones. And it wasn't just Flair and Harley Race. Uh, we're going to have Greg DeHammer Valentine join us in just a few minutes. And then, Greg Valentine and Roddy Piper in that dog collar match. We'll get into that match when we have Greg DeHammer Valentine on. But you mentioned Charlie Brown and the great Kabuki. Uh, That was also for the NWA Television Championship. Um, If Charlie Brown, who may or may not have been Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant, lost, he had to take off that mask. Great Kabuki was your NWA TV champion. Uh, So it was title versus mask between those two. 
And you could totally not tell that that big white beard was not Jimmy Valiant. It was Charlie Brown, clearly. (laughs) But that all stemmed from the great Kabuki using his gung fu, as Gary Hart said. And he blew the red mist into Jimmy Valiant's eyes, blinding him. And then he lost the loser leave. And then all of a sudden, a good friend of his, Charlie Brown, came in to try to avenge his good brother, Mercy. Good job by Charlie Brown. You also mentioned Bob Orton Jr. and Dick Slater going up against Mark Youngbud and Wahoo McDaniel. And we talk about this all the time on Busted Open. If you want to find out and talk about somebody who's, you know, criminally underrated in the history of pro wrestling, it's Wahoo McDaniel. Oh, absolutely. One of the toughest wrestlers of all time. Another guy who never held any world titles, but he was uh, a champion in many, many people's eyes and uh, tough, tough, tough man. The assassins against with your with number one Paul Jones, who may or not be the worst manager of all time. Uh, the assassins with Paul Jones going up against our good friends Rufus R. Jones and Bugsy McGraw. Yeah, don't remember the match. Gonna have to go back and watch it. Uh, all on there. Are they gonna do this on uh, Thanksgiving just to kind of go uh, feel like I'm 12 years old again? And Gary Hart not only managed the great Kabuki, but also Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin going up against Scott McGee and Johnny Weaver. Johnny Weaver at the time, I think, was 75 years old. If he wasn't, he definitely looked like he was 75 years old. Uh, But, um, you know, that was one of the matches as well. Uh, And probably when you talk about feuds, one of the greatest feuds of all time, Tommy, and this took place also, and it didn't end. Most of these feuds ended at Starcade that night, but this one kept going, and that was Abdul the Butcher against Carlos Colon. Yeah, and you you know, you think about this was really a, a super card because here you have Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin coming in from Florida. Here you have the biggest feud in Puerto Rico uh with the worldwide council, Carlos Colon's company. Carlos is feuding with Abdul the Butcher. And you know, they're trying to be, bring in a bigger audience, and that's what these cards were all about. Now, when you look back at Starcade eighty three, you definitely think of Flair and Harley Race, but one of the greatest matches of all time when you look at the history of Starcade is definitely the dog collar match between Roddy Piper and Greg DeHammer Valentine, Tommy. And when we return, we're going to talk to WWE Hall of Famer about that matchup. That's right. Greg DeHammer Valentine's going to join us when Tommy and I are back right here on a very special edition of Busted Open. Hey everyone, this is Lisa Ann and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts. And we bring in Hall of Famer. And who better to talk about the first ever Starcade, Tommy, than one of the greatest matches in the entire history of Starcade? That's Roddy Piper and our guest right now, Greg DeHammer Valentine. Sir, how are you today? Yo, I'm, I'm good. Right, I'm good today. It's a pleasure to have you on. And... You know, first, let's start off with, you know, what your feelings were uh, going into that big extravaganza that was the first Starcade. Did that first Starcade feel any different to you, or did it just feel like another show at the Greensboro Coliseum? Well, good question. Um, Being 
we had this dog collar match. It was going to be different already. And uh, I knew that it was going to be pay-per-view and uh, sent out closed circuit a bunch of different locations. So that was all brand new, too. So, yeah, you you realize you're on the threshold of something big and bigger things have come down the way. But the dog collar match was significant, and especially when I never wrestled that type of match. And we had five minutes before the match to go over it. So, wow. you know, it was very different. You know, uh, Greg, we're talking, this is 37 years and the main event of that night is, you know, Flair versus Harley in a cage, but yet 37 years later, people are still talking about this match because it, it set the bar for this brutal, violent type of match, even where AEW goes out and recognizes it. Thankfully, um, <clears throat> gets you back on TV. It, it helps, uh, promote the, the beauty of this match. And, uh, how does that feel? you know, for you to kind of have set that bar. Oh, it's fabulous. And, uh, I really, you know, you, you don't, when you're actually doing that thing and doing the dog car, you're just glad to get it over with. And, uh, but several years later, like I'm up in New York and I'm up different places traveling around the country. I didn't realize that they put it out on VHS back then. And everybody was walking up talking to me about this dog collar match and uh, you know you you forget about that thing and then but no the fans would not let you forget this match and uh I knew how brutal it was and but I was 27 years old back then and and Piper same age or year younger and we were just you know we were just babes but no no one could hurt us you know we we blasted each other, and, and we wanted to to make a mark and, and make a big history mark, and, and we wanted uh, something that the people could always uh, go back to and, and nobody would ever forget. Yeah, and it's definitely a match that people still talk about today, and it's, it's funny hearing you talk about, you know, even months after that when you went to the WWF that people were talking about it, but here we are, you know, all these years later, and you know, here we are interviewing you in 2020. I'm sure you had, you know, no thought in your head that, you know, decades and decades later that people will be talking about this match. Absolutely not. And, uh, but you know, when I, when I look at the DVDs and the tapes or whatever and watch the match back over, I say, holy Christ, because you forget, but then you watch it and then you realize, why the fans liked it so much because it was so real it was real and um you know it just uh, i wish roddy was still alive to appreciate it but me and roddy were great friends after this thing and we're just glad we didn't have to wrestle each other again <laughs> after that uh, i've been in only one dog collar match and it really it does inhibit your movement or you could trip on the chain um, and, and for you guys, you had that thick ass dog collar. Remember when the match first started, you both kind of like pulled where you're jockeying for position, but it does limit you. It limits you for like doing a forward roll, literally tucking your chin, which is what we're told to do when we're wrestling. Um, did you find yourself like with any limitations or any things you wanted to do and you just couldn't do it? Well, 
you know, I was always a stand-up wrestler anyway. I never rolled around a lot and uh, and didn't jump off the top rope that much. And uh, so Piper just gave me a couple hints of what to do, how to use that chain to to work in my favor and vice versa. And you learn how to, you know, wrap the <laughs> wrap the chain around a guy's head and and back and forth and and give him a crotch shot with the chain and and just different ways. Like Piper would go, he would go outside and I would wrap the chain around the pole and pull him back in. And so there, we had some gimmicks going there. So you know, it, it just worked out really, really well. And like I said, this is no kidding. It was back in the days when we were separated. There was a big kayfabe, and we were separated at that Greensboro Coliseum. And he snuck over, and we had maybe five, six, seven minutes to to really go over this thing, and, and then we're out there doing it. But, uh, yeah. Greg, uh, fabulous. When you, when you were... It turned out fabulous. When you were both working for Vince, uh, did either of you ever pitch to kind of do – that match working for the WWF? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) We did a Piper's pit where he brought me out with Captain Lou Albano and and we shook hands just so that people wouldn't think we're, because I I think the people would have loved to see that, but Piper, Piper was a, was a heel and so was I. So, you know, no more baby face for him. And the Piper's bit took off, took off like gangbusters. So, right. No. And now, and, and if, if mistake me, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but less than a month after that match, you were off to the WWF. I think you, you know, um, maybe like just two or three weeks after that match, you were gone from the NWA, correct? Well, I started, uh, what, what year was that? Because I'd already been in New York several times, 79, 81, 82. Mm-hmm. So I went back, worked with Piper, and that was Starcade 83. So, yeah, I was, uh, I was make, I think February of 84, I was back, back in WWF. Yeah. Yeah, you had told That's us. A couple uh, months after that. Yeah. You had told us the last time you were on, you had this amazing, unique deal that none of us had ever heard of, where you basically did a year in each territory, worked on top, and then went back and forth between, you know, Crockett and Vince until, you know, the territories and pretty much a war started. And then, you know, you decided to stay with, you know, the WWE, but that was unheard of. But it's a testament to how great of a, a top main eventer you always are. Well, thank you. And it was great to be able to go back and forth. Everybody figured out, you know, was how? oh, he's back here again. And actually, uh, Vince Sr. says, well, I'm going to send you back to Charlotte. And then I'm, he gave me a date. So that was the first time I was up there with Backlund every night, 79 and 80. And he said, I'm going to send you back. And then he gave me a starting date to come back to him. Of course, Crockett didn't like that. Crockett's the only ones that really didn't like it, but they didn't have much control over it. So I left, went back to New York, came back to um, Charlotte again, and, and back and forth. So it was great. But that they stopped that <laughs> in 84, 85 when WrestleMania 1 came along. And I was, I was privileged to be part of that too. But, yeah, they stopped going back and forth then. 
Was WrestleMania uh, Vince McMahon's kind of counter to the NWA Starcade? Well, you know, it's funny because George Scott was the booker in um, for that Starcade 83 and stuff. And he's the one that actually sent me up to New York the first time in 79. So when George Scott got up to uh, Vince and WWF, just before WrestleMania, it was it was George George's deal too. And actually, I don't know how true this is, but George said he thought George Scott. He said that he thought the name up for WrestleMania. <laughs> so there's always a lot of different guys claiming it. We know like Star Dusty came up with Starcade, and then you just made an interesting point that I didn't know. I had thought Dory Funk Jr. was the Booker for Starcade, but you telling me that it was uh, Scott and that that's very, very interesting because I was like, if Dusty came up with the name, how come Dusty wasn't at the show or on the show performing? Well, you know, you could be right. It could be Dory. Uh, but I know George Scott was, was right in there. I think he, he, he just quit after a while and then he went to New York. So, but it's hard to remember all that. I know Wahoo McDaniels was a booker for a while too, and then Dory Dory uh, Funk Jr. Um, you know, I, I got to tell you a funny story about Dory Funk Jr. when he was the booker in Charlotte. He and of course Jim Crockett was always watching whatever he did, and he goes, "Greg," he goes, "Dory Funk just went in that door," and. And I go, so? He goes, well, it's a closet. <laughs> he stayed in there for <laughs> So, you know, I guess he, he was really thick in deep thought. So he walked into a closet so he could be alone. Who knows, right? That's hilarious. And, you know, there's a lot. It's, it's funny in the world of pro wrestling. Greg, there's so many myths and legends. And, and, and maybe you can shine a little truth on this um, if you remember. But there, there was a lot of drama, I guess, that was going on with Ric Flair and Harley Race at the time. And, and there's all these stories about, you know, Vince McMahon offering money for, you know, Harley Race to, to, to jump ship and, and go to the WWF before dropping that title uh, to Ric Flair. Do you remember any kind of drama before going into that match that night? For for myself, you mean for the dog collar match? No, I mean for or for Flair and Flair and Race. Yeah, Flair and Race. Well, I think I didn't really hear it, but I knew Flair was going to win the title that night. So I know Vince was always trying to get Rick up there. He always wanted to get the top players because they were in competition basically against each other. And uh, but Rick Rick stayed with WCW or NW or whatever for as long as he could. And he held out. Now and then he took the belt with him. Right. <laughs> when uh, you were in now WWF, WWF comes up with Survivor Series. Uh, wasn't Dave on the same day as? Um, yeah, in '87 it was in '87. It was on the same day. Um, they went up against one another, and it really kind of drove um, Starcade to move to another night because because of Survivor Series. 
Well, you tell me something I didn't know. I remember the Survivor Series. I think one of the first ones was up in Hartford or something, or Cleveland, one or the other. And, and I remember Undertaker. That's when he first came out. Right. One of those yeah. Survivor Series. Yeah, Survivor um, Series in 90, yep. Right. And I was his partner along with Hockey Tongue Man and somebody else. I think it was five people. But, uh, yeah, so they were on the same day. So they forced uh, – it was Thanksgiving Day of all yep. days. Yeah, we were talking about the significance, and you worked ever. You know, you worked on in the territories where the significance of Thanksgiving being where feuds pretty much came to an end, and or you know, the boys working Christmas night and Thanksgiving night. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was on where WWE may have run a show on Christmas, and everyone was up in arms. It was just, it's a different time, but like, and also you growing up second generation, did that even ever matter to you? Uh, you know, Vince always put out a big spread at Survivor Series, for, and it was Thanksgiving, and I had my wife with me, so it didn't matter. The only thing is I couldn't eat and go out there and wrestle. You know, how are you going to eat a big dinner and go out there and wrestle? That was a heart attack. Uh, but, you know, it was in the Crockett days, uh, mid-Atlantic days, we wrestled probably twice on Thanksgiving day or twice on Christmas day. It didn't matter, you know? So it, uh, you just celebrated when you, when you could. Who was uh stiffer Wahoo McDaniel or Roddy Piper with the chain? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm still going to have to give it to Wahoo McDaniel. (laughs) Wow. I went from chief J Strongbow, who's the loosest guy ever to Wahoo McDaniel, who beat the hell out of me. And he beat me so he beat me till I became tough. And I, one time I finally, I said, I had had it. He chopped me all over the face and I could tell I was blue in the face. So I just hauled off and hit him as hard as I could right in the face. And he went down on his knee. And then later on at Bennigan's, he walks up to my wife and he goes, He's one hell of a man, and he walked away. <laughs> nice. You finally earned your stripes, kid. I finally, I finally fought back. <laughs> you know, I was, I was talking yeah, to Tommy. But he was a great guy. Yeah, because I was Go talking ahead. to, I was talking to Tommy before you joined us, and and I always felt like he's probably one of the most underappreciated wrestlers when you look at the history. You know, I guess because he was never a, like a part of the WWF in that heyday. You know, unfortunately, with with the course of time, you know, he I think he's underappreciated and underrated in a lot of ways. Wahoo McDaniel. Yeah, a lot of you know, a lot of people they they really didn't know. I mean, he, here's an ex football player who played on Joe Namath's team and the New York Jets and played in Miami Dolphins. I chased him at a big. We had a big outdoor show in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I was chasing after him. I don't know why I was chasing him, but God, he ran like a deer. He had the biggest legs you ever seen, and he was just one hell of an athlete and uh, one double tough guy, but just a great person, a real, real good, kind-hearted guy. You know, tough as tough as it comes. No. It's it's funny that you say you worked uh, Jay Strongbow, then Wahoo, and you also went from working Ricky Steamboat to Tito Santana. 
you you broke uh you broke Jay Strongbow's leg, you broke Wahoo's leg, you tore up the headdress. <laughs> a lot of repeat uh stuff I'm seeing here. Yeah, well I broke Tito's leg too, so it was, you know, that figure four leg lock and I never even used it until nineteen seventy nine and I, I was up there doing tapes before I wrestled Docklin. <laughs> And I, I did like three months in Allentown and I'm, I'm doing the tapes and Vince comes senior comes up to me and he goes, I need to give you a hold because back then I was just backwards suplex, drop the elbow. And so he, he's the one that actually had me start using the figure four wow. and having people carried out on the stretcher one after the other. And, and Vince senior knew how to get someone over, you know, Absolutely. And I never looked back after that with a figure four. It's funny. I, um, you know, w- one of the shirts that I love, I, ha- I have a ton of pro wrestling shirts and my favorite. And I, Tommy, I think you actually got it for me was, uh, you know, I broke Wahoo's leg, uh, you know, you, you, <laughs> again, like a, a T-shirt that you wore all these decades ago is still being sold right now. And yeah, and Chicago Taylor, T-shirts are selling them. Yeah. Pro and, you wrestling know, tees. George Scott comes up to me and he goes, you know what? And I thought he was, I thought it was really stupid, but he goes, and George Scott had a good mind. They said he copied everybody else. No, he had original thoughts and he, he was a hell of a booker. And he comes up to me, he goes, why don't you get a shirt and get and print? I broke Wahoo's leg and just get out there and laugh on, on your interviews. And so I did that. And, you know, Kudos to George Scott, man. You were a precursor to all the merchandise era. Yeah. <laughs> and now Chicago Tees is selling them like hotcakes. Uh, it's great, you know. An iconic shirt. I broke Wahoo's leg. Who would ever thought that? <laughs> I was on the Jericho cruise. I, You know, I, we did our show on the Chris Jericho cruise. And I, and as I wa- walked onto the cruise ship, I had the I broke Wahoo Wahoo's leg t-shirt on and Pat Patterson who was on the cruise stopped me and he's like excuse me sir but like why you know Wahoo McDaniel was a good man and he was a friend of mine like I don't I take exception to that shirt like and I was like I'm like Mr. Patterson it's like this is Greg Valentine like I tried to explain like and he, he wasn't buying it like he really thought that this was a shirt that I made up you know, about Oh, Wahoo. my God. <laughs> Did you convince him finally? No, no, I didn't. He like and he and the rest of the crews, he he would not talk to me. He thought that I like, <laughs> <laughs> made this shirt. <laughs> That's too much. Hey, Greg, I want to ask you one question before we go too, because I remember uh, this was an ECW where we did Terry Funk versus Tommy Rich. They come in the back and I was like, yeah, it was pretty good for the first time that we ever worked. And we were like, what? And they both were wrestling 20 some odd years, never work each other. Is there anyone that you're kidding me? Yeah, exactly. Um, Is there anyone that you never got to work that everyone would think that you at least got to work? Ooh, that's a heavy question. I think, well, the new guys, of course, I, you know, like John Cena or anybody like that, I haven't wrestled him. But uh, all the guys, I pretty much wrestled Everybody, even Ultimate Warrior, once or maybe twice, um, and 
never. I don't think I ever wrestled the Undertaker. I was his partner. So I guess I would be at the Undertaker. You know, we talk a lot about that dog collar match. And again, thank you so much for the time. Is there one match for you that stands above all the rest? Well, uh, it's got to be the dog collar match. I mean, I, I, I worked my ass off on all my matches and a lot of our broadways and stuff. And, uh, but the dog collar is a significant number one. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Uh, Mr. Valentine, thank you so much for the, for the time. We truly appreciate it. And, and listen, stay strong during this tough time, and we hope to see you soon. All right, you guys. Thank you so much, Tommy and Dave. I appreciate it. Thank you Thanks, so Greg. much. Awesome. Thank you, sir. All right. You're right. Bye-bye. Tommy, awesome talking to Hall of Famer Greg Valentine about that first ever Starcade, but there's a lot more to Starcade than just Starcade 83. And we'll continue the Thanksgiving tradition when Tommy and I are back right here on a very special edition of Busted Open. Hey everyone, this is Nicole Auerbach, and I want to invite you inside the Coaches Clubhouse, a brand new podcast from SiriusXM that examines what drives coaches on and off the sidelines. We talk to coaches from all different sports and all walks of life about their passion for the profession, their mentors, philosophies, and stories, and also what they care about when they're outside the spotlight. We'll give you a unique perspective on some of the greats in their profession, from Olympic coaches to Super Bowl champions and everyone in between. New episodes out every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome back to Busted Open Special Edition. Tommy Dreamer and I talking about Starcade and the Thanksgiving tradition. Talk about that sweet spot when it comes to Starcade being on Thanksgiving from 1983 to 1987. We talked a lot about Starcade 83 and had Greg DeHammer Valentine on to talk about that dog, dog collar match with Rowdy Roddy Piper. But let's talk about, Tommy, Starcade 84. And I would think that most people would say a little bit of a disappointment off the heels of Starcade 83. Yeah, and you're also talking about a big switch, like I said earlier, from tag team wrestling to, you know, more of the singles <clears throat> breaking down this card as we are looking at it. I'm looking at this and like this is their Super Bowl. This is their WrestleMania. Um, it's really putting all your eggs in one basket, and that one basket was Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes. Uh, in the world for the world title with good old smoking Joe Frazier, Philadelphia's yeah, own as yeah, a special it, referee, and I was pissed. Oh, this was this was definitely not the way that things were supposed to go. If you were a, f- a fan of Dusty Rhodes, if you remember backstage after Starcade '83, Dusty Rhodes made the challenge to Ric Flair for that NWA championship, and we saw that match where Ric Flair beats Dusty Rhodes by. Joe Frazier stopping the match, Tommy. What was that about? Could you imagine if this happened today? <laughs> the The world would be so pissed. Oh my goodness! Uh, because of that, I mean, this is also the million dollar challenge. You're supposed to win the NWA title as well as a million dollars, and him stopping the match. I remember just being so dejected. And yeah, it did have the the card, the super card feel, bringing in other wrestlers from other territories, but a little lackluster if you uh, ask me if you wanted to run down the card here because I'm looking at it, I'm like, are you kidding me? 
Yeah, and, and for those who forgot the card, it is a bit of a forgettable card. Because don't forget, Starcade was kind of like the Super Bowl of professional wrestling. You had Denny Brown against Mike Davis for the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship. I mean, not exactly uh, a hot way to start uh, Starcade 84. Brian Adidas against Mr. Ito. Jesse Barr against Mike Graham. Nothing brings the crowd in like Jesse Barr and Mike Graham. The Assassin, number one, and Buzz Tyler against the Zambui Express. Manny Fernandez against Black Bart in an NWA Brass Knuckles Championship, Tommy. I forgot there was a Brass Knuckles Championship in the NWA. Uh, Paul Jones against Jimmy Valiant in a tuxedo street fight loser-leave-town match. So a lot at stake when it came to to that match. Plus, Paul Jones beat Jimmy Valiant in that match. Uh, Ron Bass against Dick Slater for the NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff against Ole Anderson and Keith Larson. Tully Blanchard against Ricky Steamboat for the NWA World's Television Championship. I mean, they complain about too many championships now. Look at these championship titles back in the day in 1984. Uh, Wahoo McDaniel against superstar Billy Graham for the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship. And then, of course, Ric Flair against Dusty Rhodes for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. This was definitely a main, main event card for sure. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at the uh, poster, too, and I don't remember ever seeing this on uh, VCR tape like Greg Valentine was talking about it once the VCR tape. And, I mean, you remember Starcade, dude. They had uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated had come out with uh, Bill Apter. They had come out with their own version of, of it to promote, you know, that last Starcade. And this was – it's got a lot of name value but matches. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. I don't want to be unfair – but even looking at the times of these matches, it is, uh, you know, compared to the first one, it is a non-memorable Starcade except for the main event. And also the way the main event ended, Tommy, you know, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. It was a good, I guess, cliffhanger for next year. And then next year you, you had a very memorable card, but... You know, I would think that the, you know, 13,000 plus that were at the Greensboro Coliseum that night had to be disappointed in what they saw Thanksgiving night, 1984. Absolutely. I'm disappointed just reading it. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.